Everybody wants to work Na 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 me Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Life of Brian podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier and, of course, this is Brian Mannix. And this is Brian Mannix. Hello, Brian Mannix. It is. Hello, uh, I'm Brian Mannix and you must be Kevin Hillier. Oh, thanks good afternoon. very much. Good morning and Oh, you remember evening. who I am now that you've been uh, daylighting around uh, all sorts of other podcasts and you, you've been seeing other people behind my back, Mannix. <laughs> Yes, that's uh, that's kind of true. I did um, appear on uh, Sam Newman and Don Scott's uh, podcast. I was a guest on theirs on their uh, "You Can't Be Serious" podcast, which was which was a bit of fun. They're um, they're even more disorganised than we are, Kev. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I, I have no <laughs> doubt about that whatsoever. I, I've always loved the name of the podcast, uh, and it's been shrouded in controversy. Did you keep yourself out of trouble? Well, I hope so. Um, you know, they they do get, tend to get sued from time to time, yes. so I'm. Um, Hoping that um, I won't be uh, litigated against, um, but you know, knowing the way I speak and think, um, it's highly likely. Now, have you been stopped in the street? Are autograph hunters starting to hang around? Are there is there there's scenes of uh, Beatlemania happening outside your house uh, under lockdown because of the release of Rebel Yell? No, no, no. But no? Um, I, when I go walking. I do feel a bit like Rocky sometimes because, yeah. you know, I'll be walking along and the car will go past and go, hey, Brian! And go, oh, yeah, g'day, mate. And then, you know, I just need somebody to throw me a piece of fruit as I'm jogging past <laughs> or something. But I do, you know, I'll be on the phone to somebody and then somebody will yell out to me and I'll go, yeah, g'day, how you going? And the people I'm on the phone to say, you're doing a Rocky, aren't you? And I say, yeah, that's another Rocky moment for me. But it's very nice to sort of walk around the neighbourhood and people yell out hello and wish you well. I'm oh, very good. of enjoying that. Now, coming up in uh, the life of Brian in this episode, uh, we have uh, we got some musical surprise. I've got a surprise guest for you at the end of the show. We're gonna we're gonna actually walk inside the Graceland Mansion with you uh, from your audio book, which I'm looking forward to because you you weren't impressed up on the bus tour or on the uh, on the video that they showed before you walk in the house. So. I can only no. imagine the house is, is hopefully lived up to your heady expectations of your big idol Elvis. Well, you might be in for a surprise, uh, Kev. Um, it's, uh, okay. well, we'll get to that later. But, right. um, you know, I sort of had mixed feelings about Graceland, but um, we can find out about that later. What are they trying to prove is coming up as well? And our guest this week is someone that you spent a lot of time with on the television. Yes, he, I, I, she is. Oh, sorry, I was getting confused. But, yeah, she's a wonderful <laughs> person. And, uh, you know, she's just really, really interesting and a really great person. And, um, you know, I can't wait to um, have a nice chat to her because she's right. a ripper. Well, let's get stuck into that because there's a lot, uh, a lot of ground to cover with this uh, lady. It is, of course, the one and only star of Spicks and Specks, amongst other things, and her, her very own podcast as well. It's uh, Miff Warhurst. Oh, she's fantastic. One of the nicest people in television and another great Australian, I reckon. Oh, look, and speaking of great Australians, as we are and about to, a reminder about Murcott's driving excellence, wonderful people that are supporting us here on the uh, the Life of Brian Mannix, that is, podcast. It's murcotts.edu.au. Give them a call. Uh, they are open. They are COVID safe. You can book online. Uh, of course, they're uh, in all states of Australia. Uh, there are certain uh, restrictions in Victoria, obviously, but uh, around the rest of Australia, 
give them a call. 1300 555 576. They're open for business and happy to hear from you if you want to do something about making your driving a hell of a lot safer. They're the people to talk to. 1300 555 576. Murcott's Driving Excellence. And speaking of excellence, let's get to Miff. Hey, Miff, thanks for joining us on the Life of Brian podcast. Obviously, that intervention order isn't still in vogue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Brian's allowed within 20 metres of uh, anywhere I am at the moment, so, you know, that's fine. (laughs) No, it's an honour. It's an honour to be a part of it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Now, I wanted to ask you, because I I went back and did some reading on you and uh, and some reading on Brian at the same time. A Herald Sun article in around 2011, you actually were quoted as saying, you're genuinely starstruck over the guests that you got to sit next to on Spicks and Specs, including Meatloaf, Dame Edna and Brian Mannix. Surely you were taking the piss. <laughs> no, look, I have to be honest. I was obsessed with music, obviously, because I, I followed it as a career, at least, you know, knowing about music helped my career. Uncanny X-Men, of course, were so hot right now. And I guess when I started doing Spicks and Specs, I had no idea what that would feel like when... I finally sat next to these people that I looked at every weekend on Countdown through a little little glass box in the corner of the room. And I, I couldn't help but remember every time I sat next to people like Brian and uh, that little girl all full of life and wondering about what the world was going to offer and, and how she was going to cope and how much she loved all of this. And, yeah, it was always really exciting when I got to sit next to <laughs> next to my idols. Uh, so, yeah, Brian, always an idol. And also a hoot. He's always provided some of the funniest things that have happened uh, on the show. It's a, it's a really great show. And I think what made it really great was um, how Grace – how much grace you and uh, Alan and uh, Adam have in that you really want your guests to be good. And yeah. so they sort of, if you're going well, they'll let you go. And if you're struggling a bit, they'll jump in and help you. And I think that was what was really good about the show because Alan, Miff and Adam wanted the show to be good. And it wasn't about them where you go on some shows and it's all about yeah. the host and the thing. And um, that's what I think comes across on the show and made it yeah. such a great show. Oh, good on you, Brian. Well, that's the thing. We wanted all of our guests to feel safe. And I think um, that's very important because people don't tell great stories unless they feel safe. You know, they might tell showbiz stories, but they don't show the real side of themselves. So if everyone feels safe, and and look, we're just just music geeks and we were happy you you came on, you know. We were rats. So it was lovely. It was and, and the fact that you, Sean, and the audience really related to you and loved having you on there, it was awesome yeah. and it was wonderful to see. And the funny thing about that show is that, like, my mother, uh, she loved that show and she actually came on the show when they did the Mother's Day show <laughs> that to, match, right. to match up Wilbur's mum with Wilbur and uh, me with my <laughs> mum. Yeah, it was a beauty. And, of course, my mum, when she went to Probus afterwards, she was a big hit because all <laughs> the ladies had seen her on Spicks and Specs. But this is the funny thing about that show is that my mum loved that show, watched it religiously, but I yeah. doubt she would have known any of the answers. I think, I, it was, I think it was just like, oh, good, I feel like I'm having a party at home and I've got people around or sort of something like that. But a lot of really old people love Spicks and Specs yeah. even though they don't know any of the answers. And you know what I've heard, and it's so true, I've heard too, I don't have kids myself, but a lot of really young kids absolutely love it because it's on at 7 o'clock just before their bedtime. Oh, yeah. And they love it too and they've got no idea what we're talking about. All they see is 
people having a nice time and people being good to each other. And I think that that's a really rare thing these days. Yeah. On television. That might be why. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure my folks are the same as your mum, though, Brian. Same thing. You know, they loved music and they brought up musical kids, but they've yeah. got no idea what we're talking about. No idea. And they loved, they watched it religiously. Yeah. So, yeah, we're onto something there if we could bottle it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it was no, it was never the one thing that, as a, as a viewer who I never appeared on, but watched it and loved it, was it was never a try hard show. No. Mm. It always seemed a really natural kind of blend of everybody, as you say, just all wanting the show to be good. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't think it really mattered who won. <laughs> although, well, although after I'd, Brian, lo- after yeah, I'd I lost about one. seven times, I was saying, oh, look, I've got to win <laughs> one of them. <laughs> it does. It starts to matter. And that's what I hated about it too. Everyone's going, it doesn't matter who wins. There's no prizes, all of that. But I remember going home some night going, oh, my God, I'm <laughs> uh, um, Tell us about Bluey, Miff. I did a voiceover for a friend of a friend who loved my voice on Double J a couple right. of years ago, and he was an animator. I did that, and then all of a sudden he's involved in this new cartoon called Bluey, and they said, do you want to have a tryout for one of the characters? So I did, and I was given the, the role of Aunt Trixie, which is, and it's hilariously typecast too. Uh-huh. Uh, she only ever turns up for parties. Uh, for, for family gatherings and drinks and good times and takes mum away from the kids when she's had enough. So <laughs> pretty much my in life as well. I'm, I'm just, I'm the fun auntie. It, it worked out really well. But as it turned out, it's hugely successful now. It's amazing. It's, All the kids are, are loving it. And having watched a couple of episodes, I, I can see why it's, it's kind of like Six and Six. It's, it's got heart. It's, yeah. It's got real, it's got real, Things going on and real, real stories that parents can relate to, but the kids seem to love as well. So, has, has it got yeah. sold to America? Yes, it's been sold to Disney. So, wow. I'm, I, and they have refused to change the Australian accent, which quite often can happen. I think when things go to America, but it's been sold in China as well. It's on the, it's a co-production with ABC and BBC, so the UK. As well, so I'm just hoping that at some point down the track there'll be a Disney movie. Oh, <laughs> wow. Wouldn't that be amazing to do a voiceover on a Disney movie? How often do you have to go in and record for it? I go in, oh, look, I don't have a heap of lines. I'm yeah. not one of the main characters at all, but um, I probably go in every couple of months. Do you get more money for it going into China and America and stuff like that, or is it just, nah, it's just a separate fee? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Nah, you get paid for, for your time. In the in at that time, which is fine. Yeah. Um, it's an absolute joy. They're a lovely bunch of people, and I I, I wish them every success because it's kind of like Seinfeld as well. I think they struggled at the start because really it's a show about not really much about kids and their dad playing, and it's lovely. But it, that's you know that's not an easy sell. Too much, I think, of what we make today is trying to predict that yeah. rather than letting people be creative. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when they're, when they're creative and there's heart, it's just so much different, and people love it. There's too much art made by committee, and yeah. I, I can't think of a decent song written by six people. I can't think of <laughs> I can't think of a decent <laughs> book written by ten people. Maybe the Bible, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I just yes, you got to have yes, yeah, it's, it's got to be somebody's got to have a vision, and yeah, so. Yeah, I take your point very well. Yeah. You got to do something that you've always wanted to do and that was to sing with Kenny Rogers. 
I embraced my love of country music and I embraced my love of the love duet and somehow I ended up singing it with Kenny Rogers in America and it was amazing. Wow. One of the highlights of my life. Yeah, it was good. You sang it really well too. And he was impressed and goes, oh, it's in the right key as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a real honour. And, you know, Kenny's passed on now, but I I loved it. And it was a special, special moment. I mean, look, Kenny doesn't quite look the same as he used to look because of all the plastic surgery in the 80s. But nevertheless, it was still Kenny. (laughs) I've been thinking of doing a love duet, namely Islands in the Stream. Okay. Do you think I'd have a chance? Yeah, Absolutely. So could, if you start, oh, me and we, you, we were we meant to be together. Magic? Absolutely. Could I? Fire away. you got to start, Kenny. Baby, when I met you, there was peace unknown. I set out to get you with... <laughs> well, you're not saying you're laughing. Soft inside. I was waiting there for my harmony. There was something going on. <laughs> you got my key to You do something to, to me that I can't explain. explain. <laughs> Hold me closer and I feel no pain Every beat of my heart We got something going on You sound better than I do Tender love He requires a dedication All this love we feel I have to stop and think about it without my band We write it together Can we do the chorus? Islands in the stream That is what we are No one in between how can we be wrong? <laughs> Sail away with me to another world. We rely on each other. Uh-huh. From one lover to another. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you have it. Miff and Kenny. Kenny Rogers. <laughs> you have, you've made my life. Oh, Thank that's you. so sweet. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I appreciate you guys coming down here and talking to me. You did 10 years of piano training and stuff, but, mm. but I mean, and you've sung with Kenny Rogers. Uh, do you consider yourself a musical person? Yes, I do, because I, I, I went to, I'm classically trained. I, I actually started doing music at, at university. Um, that's sort of when I came to Melbourne, the big smoke. Yep. So I was going to be a classical pianist and a teacher and all of those things. Mm. And then I, then I realised I wasn't actually good enough. So, <laughs> um I, I, I wasn't quite technically good enough, and I didn't have the performance chops. I didn't love performing; actually, it made me quite anxious. So I, I dropped out, and I, I, I moved over and did like an arts degree. But all my family are musical. My brothers play in bands, and, yep. and they're amazing. And and I think when you see, I, I was I could do it, but I was a workhorse. And when you see natural aptitude and talent, which my brothers have, you know, my dad doesn't read music, but he can play anything by ear, you know, like oh. it's, and they're like that too. So when you see that in action, you go, oh, hang on a minute, that's it. And I haven't got that, but that's okay. It's good to know, but I can still, you know, I can still plot around and play my classical tunes and all of that stuff, but I'm certainly not, um, you know, that was, I think I was not quite up to scratch in that department, that kind of natural gift. I know, you know how you, I, mean. I, I know how you feel. I um I got my second gold album before I realised I wasn't up to scratch. But oh. it, was, it, was, it was way too late by then. But anyway, <laughs> rub it in, Brian. Oh. That's great. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, um, and you were the Chico Roll girl. You had a, a fixation with the Chico Roll posters. Yeah, you remember those, Brian? I'm sure you. Yeah, do. Well, I, I remember. Them. I loved them. And it was always a hot girl in a Chico Roll. And, of course, I didn't understand what the meaning was at that point of, no. um, 
you know, a young lady <laughs> holding something long and tubular. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all so glamorous, and yet here it was in the fish and chip shop. Didn't quite make sense. But at the end of the show, Miff's on this big Harley Davidson dressed up like the Chico <laughs> Roll girl with the Chico Roller. It was really funny. It was really just about living the stuff of my 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 childhood and and and. And seeing how it how it's not only impacted me but Australian culture too. A lot of that stuff we, we take for granted, but I think it, it's very embedded on in in our in our psyche. So it was a fascinating little journey that one. All right. Well, there is the uh, the wonderful Miff Warhurst. We've got more coming up with her a little later on. Uh, talk about uh, more of the other things she's done. But while we're in that uh, in that musical genre, uh, the late great Paul Gray, who I, I, I know you were great mates with, uh, the Wawani frontman and uh, one of the best musical directors in this country, Brian. He did the version, uh, the the full version of uh, of Islands in the Stream with Myth. We're going to have a listen to that now. So, are your memories of Paul? Oh, what a great guy. A true gentleman. Yeah. Um, um, you know, and, gee whiz, for him to get sick was such a sad thing because, you know, he didn't mistreat his body or anything like a lot of us do. He didn't, yeah. you know, drink excessively. He didn't take drugs or anything. He was just a really, really nice guy that, um, you know, was very always good to people around him and um, a wonderful musician and great singer and, you know, it's a real tragedy that um, that he's no longer with us. Yep. Well, let's have a listen to his work uh, in this this wonderful duet that he did with Myth Warhurst. There's uh, Miff and Paul Gray together doing uh, Islands in the Stream. More of Miff, as we mentioned, a little later on. But, Brian, it's time mm. for you to get a little bit agitated or not. 
and tell mm. us what are they trying to prove? Well, Kev, this week there's been, you know, it's COVID-19 and it's just starting to get a little bit silly. Mm. Um, we had all the stuff with the Lorna Jane and their active wear was supposed to be... Um, to stop you from catching the COVID-19. It was built into the active wear. And, and, oh, of course it was. Yeah, and apparently that's all total bullshit and <laughs> they've had to they've had to repackage the things, the uh, active wear saying, no, this won't stop you from getting COVID-19. But even more alarming, I saw this and um, it's a headline and this mum of two says she's fighting off coronavirus mm. by drinking sperm smoothies. Hello. A sperm smoothie. Now, this I posted this on um, Twitter because it, it did shock me, but I really liked this guy's letter about it. Right. And he said, I read this headline, and the headline is, of course, I'm fighting off coronavirus by drinking sperm smoothies. So this guy says, I read this headline, and all I can picture is her husband wearily taking the blender jug into the bathroom every morning oh. while she chops up the bananas. Oh. I, I really don't think this is going to work. Um, oh. The... Uh, a, a sperm smoothie, it's not going to stop you getting COVID-19. To this young lady, this mother of two, drinking the sperm smoothies. <laughs> what are you trying to prove, woman? You're insane. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness gracious me. All right, well, with that in mind, uh, let's go back to a our... A glass uh, and a half uh, of full cream milk, yeah, No, no, stop <laughs> it. Let's go back to our uh, the second part of our interview with uh, the lovely Miff Warhurst. I want you to be pleased to know that she's following that. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the modern day version of, of of what you're talking about is reality shows, and Brian's oh. Brian's done a number of reality shows, and I want to so know I. I want you well I want to know yeah, why you did I'm a celebrity get me out of here I want to know what what was the motivation behind doing it and then what was it like Well okay here's the, the full deal at the end of last year I've been working on ABC Radio for a fair few years I came back from London to start up Double J the the, the, um, the music station and did that and then moved over to ABC local radio and um to, to be honest I got the boot at the end of last year so yeah doing the afternoon like, show yep yeah from doing lunch times which was a national program and I don't really know why other than maybe a national program didn't work on a local radio network I'm not sure I never asked I was out of there and I got I've been offered this a couple of times and I said no way won't do it can't, I'm too scared, I'm too anxious, I'm too frightened of all the things that they do. And after I got the sack, I was like, oh, stuff it. What have I got to lose? I'm a 46-year-old woman. It was actually a bit of a revelation for me in that sense. I, I had so many fears and anxieties and and all of those things. And let's, let's not pretend I'm over them in terms of heights and things like that. I'm yeah. still absolutely terrified. But I don't know, there was something really... It was almost like a full stop to the end of a, a really shitty year and then it was so out of my ballpark. I I got a lot out of it and I met lots of lovely people. I mean, when else would I get the chance to go to South Africa, meet a whole bunch of people I, I would never normally know aside from beautiful Rhonda Birchmore, who I did know, yep. and, and also be really pushed in terms of lots of stuff that I understood about myself and, and to, you know, to be pushed into maybe – thinking differently or doing differently and sure it was all in front of cameras but yeah, yeah. it was actually great like I, I got a lot out of it I got an awful lot out of it I've never watched the show since I've come home is that right I don't oh. think I yeah no nah, I, I don't want to it's my experience and I don't want to see it through a, a television 
if you know what I mean. It was quite transformative at a time when I needed it to be. Yep. So yeah, it was it was good. It was it pushed me in all the right ways, did, and I'm, I'm really really thankful for that. Did the producers do stuff um, like I know when we did celeb- I did Celebrity Apprentice? You put your mm. bag down, and then they deliberately move it so you couldn't find it. And they did all this stuff just to make people crack the shits and <laughs> or start crying. And yeah. it, it, it was it was mind rotten. games. It, yeah, all these mind games, you know, they would. It, yeah. yeah, and all that sort of stuff. When I thought about that show, I thought, well, gee whiz, that's what they see on camera. I wonder what they do when you're not on camera. Like, oh, absolutely. Because in, in oh, a- oh, look, don't trust, don't trust the producers ever. <laughs> no. that's, that's the whole thing. My my mental challenge when I went in there, going, okay, all right, they are going to mess with me. Yeah. And the whole point is that we are starved. We are in prison. We can't go anywhere. We don't know the time of day. All of those things are designed to make you break down. Yeah. And so for me, I went in there going, rodeo, that's going to happen. But you've just got to remember every time they throw you out of a helicopter and, and make you bungee jump out of a helicopter and drag you five kilometres down under the helicopter before you go down, you just got to remember, like, I, I just went, right, this is pantomime. It's like, that's what it is. It's entertainment. And if I can control that bit in me to get pissed off when I feel like they're being mean to me, yeah. then that's my little that's my little battle that I've I've won. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, and the people who are really good at reality TV don't take it personally. I don't know how they yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. They do it somehow. So I imagine the money is very good to do that show. Don't tell me what <laughs> you got, but is it very good? Yeah, it's good. It's worth it, you yeah. know? And it meant that for the next couple of months, I didn't have to worry about not working. Yeah, you know? right. And thankfully, because then lockdown happened. <laughs> well, I thought the money. Yeah. I thought the money on Celebrity Apprentice was pretty good, but at yeah. the end of the day, we'd go and stay at Star City and go to a restaurant mm. and get a good night's sleep, and then get up and go again. So if yeah. they're paying me, you know, I can ring up my family and I can watch TV and all that sort of thing. So if I'm getting paid fairly good money to do that, I figure with what mm. you're doing. Must be at <laughs> least double that, yeah. or, or triple. Well, you'd hope so, because yeah. I had tiny scorpions on my backpack at least three mm. times, and they're the ones that can actually kill you. It's real, and we couldn't even really see where we were because we were covered. It was sort of jungle coverage, and there's, there's monkeys and baboons. It was amazing. Did you lose it at any stage and think, no, oh, yeah. I, I actually I do want to say I'm a celebrity, get me out of here now? Well, bungee jumping out of a helicopter, that was the first day. I was like, what have I done? What? Well, this is, you can't get worse than this, you know? And I just did it. I shut my eyes and went, I've come all this way. I've got to do it. It was horrific. Hated it. Um, uh, and then when they had me again, I had to I had to go off a water, like one of the biggest waterfalls in yep. South Africa, jump off it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm like, crying, like sobbing, crying, trying to get to, even just to get there, it took so much. And there were moments then, you know, and when they made me eat a bull's penis, that was a good one. That was a good oh. day at work. <laughs> oh, but, you know, I just, I just, the whole time I was like, it's like this, is, you signed up for this. Yeah. And yeah, especially when I was eating that stuff, and I, was, I just, I was just trying to laugh. Go, right, it'll, it'll never be this bad again. And yeah. It's just, and it's entertainment. Remember, it's entertainment. So, yeah, it was more – the enjoyment for me came more than the mental kind of battle I, I had to have through that whole thing and get through it with a smile on my face So without really feeling like I was being hurt yeah. or attacked. Yeah, Do so you, it was fine. If you're not doing one of the challenges, 
the people that stay back at the camp, are they allowed to wander off, you know, down to the river or anything or you just got to stay where they want you to? You've got to stay where you are unless you, you – we asked to go down to the – there was a waterfall, a little yeah. waterfall where you could swim in a watering hole. So we'd be allowed to go there once or twice a day because it was really hot too. Yeah, right. Um, but we had to all go together because there were quite a few um, – quite a few uh, – what are they called? Black mamba and death adders and all that sort of oh, stuff. Yeah, There's yeah. A, lot of, oh. a lot of snakes and like Australia, not, not much different, but they had to – also have camera crews up there. There's a lot of cameras everywhere, but they would quite often send camera crews. So that was a bit weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> getting out of the water and going, ooh, someone's filming me. Oh. But you also have to just forget about it. And that was good too. It was like, oh, well, who cares? What have I got to lose? Nothing. That's a great attitude. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was d- good. It was good. I, I got a lot out of that, I reckon. It, it's it's the most um, confronting of all the uh, of all the reality shows. Uh, would you do Dancing with the Stars or one of the other ones now uh, on the ba- on the back of that, or are you done with them? Um, I reckon I would do Dancing with the Stars. I'd love that. Dancing it's with the big. Stars is great. It's yeah, really, and it's not like reality shows where. The producers actually want you to be good. They don't yeah. really. They don't want you to crack the shits and cry, which <laughs> is unusual. Were you on it? Yeah, I was on it. I, I did quite well for a bloke that can't dance. Um, oh, I can imagine you'd be quite good on the dance floor, Brian. From, no. I, I've got a feeling. I had a See, I'm mo- not sure I've got the rhythm that it requires, but I reckon you'd be I reckon great. you'd be all right, Miss. I reckon you'd go well because they've got – it's what's really good about it. My um, my, my partner, she'd represented mm-hmm. Australia in ballroom dancing. So yeah. in, wow. in, in a cricket parlay, it's sort of like – Learning to play cricket with Ricky Ponting teaching you, yeah. and so that was fantastic. And um, yeah, I reckon you should give that a go if you get a chance, Miff. Yeah, I reckon I would now. I wouldn't be afraid of it. Whereas I think I was afraid of all of those things because you, you know, you get to a certain age in your life where you're very protective of yourself. You feel exposed, and and to, for me, that probably wasn't a bad thing. Maybe I just needed it and go. And even if it is exposed, there's nothing wrong with it. Anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, I think there was probably I was probably trying to hide too many things, or you know, be appropriate or whatever. And, and once it's all out there, there's yeah, it makes makes life a lot easier. I think. So, if you did Dancing with the Stars, would the would the news that you were the breakdance champion of your primary school would that <laughs> would that come out in in you know a, a sort of some sort of disclaimer at some stage? I would hope so, um, but I also think that there was probably people at primary school who would uh, contest that I was the breakdance champion. I was. I did have um, – I was the head spin champion. There was me and one other guy who did head spin, um, and, and I won that one. So um, I'm pretty proud of that, but I'm not sure I was the best break dancer. In fact, I wasn't very good. Would they, would they, bing, would they wheel uh, Gil Tucker in, uh, you know, uh, to bring back uh, some <laughs> memories of your blue light disco days? <laughs> oh, that was still a highlight of my life. When um, Gil Tucker and the Big M girls came to Mil- Mildura for New Year's Eve, year and um, they did a gig on one of the footy ovals and it, it's like there were thousands of people there. I'd never seen so many people in my life in one place on a footy oval, you know, and it was carnage. Everybody's doing all sorts. And I would have been 12, I think, or 11 or 12. <laughs> and I went with some friends' parents and um, they said, anyone want to come up and uh, sing, sing the national anthem? Or no, I, I can't. I still call Australia home. Yeah. <laughs> and win a copy of Breakdance, the video, and I did. I got up. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I won. I thought I was eating a bit, to be honest. Um, a little bit of celebrity in a, in a small country town, but I don't think anyone remembers that but me, sadly. 
Oh, I'm sure they've got a statue at Redcliffe somewhere where, you know, of, of you on stage with Gil Tucker and his, what was he? Uh, Roy Baker. Roy Baker, Constable Roy Baker. That's right. That's right. Cop Shop, gee, that was a popular show, wasn't it? I can't even remember it now. Oh, you must remember. You must remember uh, DiGiorgio's shirt and chest, <laughs> his chest hair and the medallions. Oh, Mike DiGiorgio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Amazing. So, what's coming up, Miff? What are you? What are you apart from Bluey? Uh, what are you? What are you working on? I'm doing a book at the moment. I'm writing a book. Is it an autobiography or a, a little bit? A little bit, but not not quite straight up. Um, just okay. Sort of telling lots of fun stories about my life and um, yeah, lots of those little experiences. So it should be it should be fun. Hopefully, it's an, it's an adventure yeah, book. Miff's adventures. Sorry? It's an adventure <laughs> yeah. book featuring Miff's yeah, adventures. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah. They're called the Miff Adventure, like a Miss Adventure. A Miff Adventure. <laughs> oh, right. Is there a, I love that. I'm writing that down. Thank you. Would, is, there, would is, there be an animated version of the yes, book, perhaps? Yes, there you go. There's a Disney film. Oh, All right. God, yeah. You're oh. onto something. All right. See, we're not just pretty faces here. We're not even pretty faces No, here. exactly. Um, would, would <laughs> None there, of us are anymore, are we? <laughs> would there be a chapter devoted to Matt Preston? Oh, yes, Matt yeah. Preston. Oh, no, we, we sorted that out. Oh, he had a whole bunch of cravats and he said in an interview that he called that one of them, which was the, the fat cravat, the curvy cravat, he called it Master Me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Because so, it was short and slightly wide, I think was the description, wasn't it? Short and slightly wide, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, that, that's a bit mean. Isn't that's it, mate? very mean. Um, but uh, look, it's true, let's be honest. But yeah, I think, and I, I was writing a column at the time, and I said, "Oh, I'll get upset." The but column was brilliant. The column was uh, the, the the answer that you put in the column was uh, was sensational. It was really, really brilliantly written. What's your What's your passion, Miff? Is it Is it writing? Is it radio? Is it television? What What do you, What kind of do you love? I don't know. I don't know. I love them all. Um, I love radio because radio is just instant. It's immediate. It's real. You can't hide behind anything. There's not much editing, really, um, and you connect with people immediately. And, and it's, yeah, I think that's probably the thing I, I love. But it's also nice to have a rest from it too. So, yeah, it's, um, it's been nice to have a break from that, but I'm sure I will miss it and, and get back into it at some point. And, look, I love telly, but it takes a lot longer um, and writing is hard. I find writing quite hard. So it's something I've got to work hard at, but that's not a bad thing either. Sometimes, sometimes it's good to work hard. So they tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what working hard means. <laughs> in fact, yeah. in fact, anybody worth meeting doesn't get out of bed before midday. Well, that's right. There exactly. You go. Yeah. Now the Eurovision Song Contest. Another thing I wanted to touch on uh, because oh. that that is something that you did have obviously a very big passion for. Yes, yes, I did. I've always I love. You know, you know. Look at my love of the love duet from a very young age. Um, I love big, overblown ballads, and I love the drama in Eurovision. Always have. I've always watched it, and it's so ridiculous. Like it's just turning everything up to eleven, including the wind machines and the um, glitter cannons yeah. and the costumes. Like it's just ridiculous. And if you take it too seriously, then yeah, that's not right either. We but shouldn't be in it, should we? Australia shouldn't be in it. Yes, yeah, I like that we're in it. I love it. And because we broadcast Eurovision on SBS for 30, 40 years, I think. And it was pre-internet as well. So back in the day when there was lots of people come from somewhere else in this country and they would be able to watch 
their, their countries of home and have something in common with their families back home. And so there's that real hardcore love for it here. And I think that's when people say, oh, no, we shouldn't be in it. But I don't think they realise our history with it. It's so big and it's so long and there's so many people who've just grown up with it. So I reckon we should. And, you know, the, what is the EBU, European Broadcasting Union, pretty much um, you know, Azerbaijan's in there. They're not in Europe. Israel's in there. They're not in Europe. They're open. They're open to ideas. And I love that. Yeah, no, fair <laughs> yeah. enough. Fair have, enough. Have you seen Will Ferrell's movie about Eurovision? I did. Have you seen it, Brian? Yeah, I have. Did you like it? Oh, look, to be honest, I didn't think it was – it wasn't – the last I was expecting from yeah. a Will Ferrell movie, but I actually found, like, and I was a bit like, oh, come on, this is a bit bit crappy, but I actually found by the end it had a lot of heart. Yeah. And I got completely sucked in, and I thought the songs, in terms of studying Eurovision songs and writing perfect Eurovision songs, they nailed it. Yeah, they got the and guy that writes it. a lot of the Eurovision songs to, to actually write yeah. the songs. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't mind it actually. I thought it was it was fun. It wasn't amazing, yeah, but it was certainly fun. And and it I was invested by the end, which I didn't yeah. think I would be at the start. What did you feel? I felt it wasn't as good as Will Ferrell's normal movies, but yeah. I, but I thought you know I, I'm not as huge a fan of uh, Eurovision as you are. But I thought if I knew more about Eurovision, maybe it would be better. But yeah. clearly, it wasn't. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, 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 look, they've got a huge audience. It's on Netflix, and everyone will be watching it because you know anyone who likes Eurovision will watch it. So that's a damn load of eyes on it, even if it's even yeah, if it's bad. That's you know terrible. what I mean? Yep. Hey, Miff, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you on the Life of Brian. Uh, yeah, thank you, Miff. I get I I like you get giddy sitting next to him on a, on a paddle doing this uh, doing this <laughs> podcast. So. <laughs> I just need to have a, a Bex and a lie down now after after spending a bit of time there. But, no, seriously, thank you so much for your time. Uh, look forward to more work on Bluey and the Disney film in the future and uh, and that book. Uh, <laughs> get get back to writing that book because we want to read that as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know, I know. I've got work to do. You've written one, Brian. How would you go? Ah, yeah, I've, I just finished another one, uh, which I'm still waiting for the audio book to be processed so that – um, for that thing. So I've done an audio book and uh, I've done my own book and I've done a novel. So, yeah, I've got, I've got three. That's amazing, yeah. yeah. Uh, any hot tips and advice? Um, write as you speak. Yeah. And lots of short sentences and short paragraphs yep. and short chapters. Are you doing short right. jokes on myth? No, because... No, because people <laughs> are more are. inclined to read no, if it's just short and it looks easy to read. Um, and, yeah. and and publisher will tell you short sentences, short paragraphs. That's the only advice I had and I try to stick to it. I well, love it. Thank you. Non, no, that, no, no sentences that go, it was a Monday morning and <laughs> we went to the work because it was raining. We grabbed an umbrella and then Je- Jenny came into the room. No. Shit, I'm going to have to rewrite the whole thing, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Miff, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Take care and, uh, and stay well. Thanks, Miff. Thanks, both of you. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Fantastic to have uh, Miff on the program. Uh, one of the uh, one of the really really nice human beings in the in the media in this country, Brian. She is indeed um, one of the most unselfish performers I've, I've ever met. Yep. Now speaking of that, 
On an earlier edition of The Life of Brian Mannix, that is, we spoke to Peter Hitchener. Thanks, Lavinia. Yes. Well, and and in that that conversation with Hitch, we talked about a bloke who I know is your favourite Channel 9 news reporter. Well, I think he gets the best jobs every time. He seems to, um, you know, he's not out there in the in the rain with the um, with the cyclones or stuff. He just seems to get the best jobs. And well, um, surprise, surprise, Brian. Yes, he's here. On the life of Brian, hey Mano, we got a special guest. Are you ready? A special surprise guest for you. Prepare yourself. Oh yes. From the Channel 9 newsroom, the one and only Alan Rascal. G'day, Brian. How you doing? Good, thanks, Alan. Oh, wow. This is is a thrill, Kev. It is. It's a thrill for me, too. I've been a big fan for years. Alan, can you put that that bottle of Moe down and get out of that uh, spa, please? (laughs) Yeah. Every time we see you, you're sitting in a bubble bath drinking champagne or dancing with the cast of Cats or the latest musical. You have some wonderful assignments that you seem to get, Alan. Oh, look, it is for good fun. But the question is, Brian, what was I wearing in that spa bar? <laughs> well, it was just up to our imagination. <laughs> what were you wearing? What beneath the bubble they are. Oh, fantastic. What's, what's some of the weirdest assignments you've had, Alan? Oh, look, when you look at I'd have lots of weird and wonderful assignments. Yeah, the world is a wonderful place. Sadly, news is full of doom and gloom. So yeah. it is good to be able to, you know, chat to people and, and have a bit of fun. You know, I've danced on stage, as you mentioned, with, you know, uh, The Boy From Oz and, and many of the cast from, from many of the big shows. I've, I've, you know, covered the Potato Festival up there at Trentham. I've dropped my dacks with the Ocean Grove footballers, <laughs> you know, to raise money for charity, the whole lot. <laughs> What was that? Was that a calendar or something, Alan? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a calendar uh, to raise uh, money for for mental health. So so it was a a good cause. I've got to say, it's all in the editing. You'll see me undo my belt. You'll see my jack drop over my pants. But I was in my undies. The boys weren't. uh, (laughs) I didn't want to get those growth to that. Oh, fair enough. And we saw you driving a tractor the other week too. You were burning along on the tractor and. Peter felt that you were more comfortable in the bubble bath with the champagne than on the tractor. Is that fair to say? Oh, look, it's probably fair to say. Oh, look, I'm, I'm kind of blessed in that my, my, my dad was the city folk, my, my mum was cattle station people, so I've had the best of both worlds, but I do feel far more comfortable sitting on the Connolly leather of a Rolls Royce than I do throwing my leg over a saddle. <laughs> you and me both, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Alan, has it got to the point now where people kind of seek you out to give you stories as opposed to you, uh, you know, the, the the days when you have to sort of chase them a bit? No, you're spot on there. You're absolutely right because, you know, that people re- realise that uh, in news, as mentioned earlier, that there is a lot of doom and gloom and people do need a bit of light and shade in their life. So, you know, very often, you know, it gets into work and my inbox is full of, of potential stories and people wanting to, uh, you know, see if they can get on the news to do, you know, spread some happiness in, in the world. Yeah, no. Yeah. And obviously your background is in is in hard news when you, you came up through the ranks. Where, where'd you start, Al? Well, I actually started in uh, Channel 9 in Sydney. I actually okay. finished my degree while I worked at Channel 9 Sydney. So I was with the 9 Network for about 11 years or so, and then I went and holidayed at Channel 10 for 6 or 7. Then I turned 40 and didn't want to work full-time anymore, so I uh, gave up full-time work and did some freelancing for three years at 7 News and SBS World News. And then 
Nine rang me and said, do you want to come back home? So I've been freelancing for Nine for about seven years or so. So I've been freelancing now for about 10 years. You do a great job because, as you say, it is doom and gloom and your bits, your segments are always lighthearted and a bit of fun and they always put a smile on my face. So thank you for that. It's really good. Keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. It was good, good, good fun. And I've got to say, you know, the camera boys obviously they take a lot of my social media shots for me, and then send me the photos so I can put them on my social media. My, my my photos of me doing all the stupid things on their phone, so much so that some of them think, you know, their wives say, "God, are you having an affair with that bloke or what?" I <laughs> know, <laughs> uh, Alan. It's fantastic, as Brian mentioned. It is. It's the 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 bit we look forward to in the news, um, rather than the the bits that we have to put up with because of uh, what's going on around the world. No, appreciate your time, mate. A really uh, sensational catch-up. Thanks for being on The Life of Brian. It's all very good fun. And can I just ask Brian a quick question? Yeah. Were you really Mr. Ocean Grove in 1971? Yes, I was. I had a little, um, it was uh, like a baby show or something, you know, one of those things <laughs> where the, the kids line up and they had the judges. And um, so I got talked into going in it and I won it. I won $5. I was wearing a pair of flares from... Carnaby Street, and um, that did the job, and I won the $5, so I'm pretty happy about that. Fantastic. It's good to talk to a man who uh, probably wears as much makeup as I did back in your film clip days, so I wear more now on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Here's a new uh, segment for the show, Makeup Tips with Alan Rascal and Brian Mannix. There you go. We've both that'll got a good a... head of hair. We should have a hair off, Brian. <laughs> oh, wow. That'd be terrific. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Alan, well uh, look in your inbox. You'll see that we're going to do a reenactment of Mr. Ocean Grove 1971 in the coming week. So we'll, uh, we'll get you down to, to film <laughs> that with Brian. <laughs> Brian and the nappy. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> good on you, Alan. Thanks for your time, mate. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye now. Okay, there's, uh, there's Alan Rascal. God knows what he'll be doing on the news tonight, Brian. Oh, I wonder what he'll be wearing. You know, he's, he's, he's likely to come out in his speedos with a bottle of Moe. Who knows? Uh, anything's possible. As as you, your good self, uh, you do a very, very similar thing. Uh, now, we're going to finish uh, <laughs> this edition of the podcast, of course, with uh, with a little bit of your book. Oh, A little okay. bit of your, your audio book, which is apparently going to be released sometime this century. Yeah, well, as soon as Audible get their act together, I'll release it. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, we'll just whet people's appetite for it with um, this today's uh, excerpt from the audiobook. All right. Now, when we left you last time, uh, you'd were you you'd got on the bus, which you weren't too happy about. You'd no. gone to Graceland. You'd yep. gone inside and done the, the little uh, precursor to actually stepping inside the house. Today, we're going to go inside the mansion? We're going inside the house today and, uh, wow. We're in for a treat. The grounds surrounding the house are great. Who wouldn't want to have a front yard like this? We enter the house and turn our Walkman-like devices on. The voice of John Stamos welcomes us to Graceland. John Stamos? What the fuck has John Stamos got to do with Elvis? Wouldn't it have been better to get Priscilla or Lisa Marie to do it? Maybe an Elvis sound-alike would be okay. But John Stamos? John Stamos was the star of Full House, a really shit 80s sitcom, and has played drums for the Beach Boys. Elvis would have hated the Beach Boys. I'll break your goddamn neck, you son of a bitch. Same as he hated the Beatles and Ricky Nelson. 
John fucking Stamos. John Stamos instructs us to look at the big couch in the lounge room. John informs us it was purchased in Memphis and had to be very long so that Elvis's entourage all had a place to sit. Fuck me, what an insight. In a room just beyond the lounge area is a grand piano. John Stamos tells me some piece of bullshit about it. The stupid Walkman thing is really awkward, but for now I persist with it. A few more uninformative comments about a picture on the wall and Stamos repeatedly stating the bleeding obvious and I'm done with the stupid commentary. Fuck off, Stamos! The first thing that strikes me about the house is how small it is. It looks bigger on TV. It's like a three-quarter size house. The staircase is only about seven or eight feet high and these front rooms are decorated like an Italian nonna's house. I'm a bit surprised Elvis bought the furnishings locally because to my eye they look like they would have come from Franco Cozzo stores in Brunswick and Futterskray. To my left is the dining room and... Yeah, it's a dining room. There's a table and chairs, a big chandelier that screams, I'm Italian, and blue velvet drapes with gold trim that scream, I'm Greek. I put the Walkman thing back on and hear Stamos crapping on about how mealtimes were important to Elvis. I think anybody who's seen pictures of Elvis in his latter years would already know that mealtimes were important to Elvis. I turned Stamos off again. Fuck off, Stamos. All right, uh, so we've done Graceland now. What what could what can we top Graceland with, Brian? You got any ideas what we might do in the next edition of uh, of this podcast? Well, we've had so many great guests, uh, you know, on the show, but I think we can do even better next who week. Would you, Kev. Who would you like me to try and get for the next show? Well, if I can pick anybody mm. in the world yeah. or just in Australia, uh, anybody in the world. Okay, well, one of my idols, one of my favourite people in the mm, world, yeah. and I've loved him for a long, long time, I still think he's fantastic, is Alice Cooper. Done. Done? Done. Geez, you're good. Or just get Alice. We'll do it. Yeah, Alice Cooper, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, that'll be great. You, you mean I, the Alice Cooper? The Alice Cooper, right. not the one from Broadmeadows, not the lady with the kids, Whitney, Brittany and Shania. No, oh, I mean right, the, the okay. singer. Right. The singer Alice All right, we'll, we'll keep watching the Facebook page and I'll update you on how we go with our search for Alice. But All right, if you can't get Alice Cooper, can we get Jamie Redfern? <laughs> I can get Jamie. <laughs> Jamie? Jamie. Try, for, try for Alice first, but if not, we've got to back up in Jamie Redfern or Rod Kirkham. That'll be fine. <laughs> well, we look forward to that. One of those three will be on the next program. Uh, I look forward to that. Oh, look, and before we go, uh, just a reminder too about our very good friends at Murcott's Driving Excellence. They'll look after you if you're uh, looking... Uh, one of the things I, I remember doing when my uh, my son turned uh, 17 or 18 uh, and, and my other one's about to get into this as well, is getting a defensive driving course so as they're set up before they actually get behind the wheel. I think it's a really good idea. Uh, teaches them how to uh, how to drive in a, in a totally different way with a totally different mindset and Murcots are the people to, to do this with. It's murcots.edu.au. You can book online. They're COVID safe. Uh, they're Australia-wide. So uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, give them a buzz on one three. 555576 or visit the website murcots.edu.au
www.covidsafe.com.au. And uh, as I said, you can book online the COVID Safe and uh, open uh, in every state in Australia. So uh, Mercot's Driving Excellence, please uh, support them because they support us here on The Life of Brian Mannix, that is. Thank you, Brian. Take care, mate. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, everybody. Smoke.